Scott McNamara with What's New in Adaptive Physical Education. Uh, I have one of those great episodes where I am not going to talk pretty much at all. Uh, I have Dr. Melissa Bittner and Dr. Barry LeVay from California State University, Long Beach, who conducted a panel of students in their program who just completed a peer mentoring program with APE teachers out in the field uh, during COVID. They talk about their experiences. They address a number of topics and issues related to their experiences. uh, And I think it's just a wonderful listen. So with that, I'm going to let them take it away. All right. Thanks for having us here today. We have an adapted physical education student teacher student mentor panel. And we want to give our thanks to Scott McNamara and the What's New and Adapted Physical Education podcast for allowing us to have this be an episode and share what we're doing here at um, CSU Long Beach in our APE program. So Barry LeVay is moderating with myself. I'm Melissa Bittner, an assistant professor here at Long Beach. And Barry's been doing this student teacher panel meant, I guess, menteeship for quite a while and thought it would be a a great way to showcase how we prepare our future APE student teachers to get ready for the upcoming semesters. So we are doing this within our Kim 388 class, which is a class for APE cohort students. And most of these students will be student teaching Um, either next semester or in the spring semester of next year. So within six months to a a year. And our panelists today, we have um, Rachel and Elsie. And again, I'll provide an opportunity for each panelist to introduce themselves. But I also wanted to share that Rachel and Elsie are our APE senior student administrators. And this is something else that, again, kind of kudos to Long Beach State. We write an internal grants and they provide us funding and support to have two student mentors. And what they do is they attend our um, ASAP after school program for students with disabilities and they provide mentorship. Um, leadership to the current APE cohort students because they were in these student shoes a year ago. And so they can really provide a lot of guidance. So we'll introduce our panel. We have, of course, Rachel, Elsie, and then their mentor teachers who are APE teachers out in the field. In addition, we have a university supervisor who supervises uh, this whole system. So Without further ado, I'll let Barry introduce himself first, and then we'll bounce it to the the rest of our panel and then begin our questioning. Hi, everyone. Uh, So I'm I'm Barry LeVay, and I was the coordinator for the Adaptive Physical Education Program for 33 years, and I uh, retired in August, and so I'm Professor Emeritus now, and and I thought Melissa did a nice job of introducing what we're trying to do towards the end of the semester when those students the next year will be student teaching to get them ready for that, bringing in uh, a couple of student teachers and, and also their cooperating teachers. And, and uh, so I think this is a really nice uh, way to, to, we have a series of questions and, and they can add, the students in, enrolled in the class can also ask questions. So I'm um, really looking forward to this and excited to be here. 
Yeah, students in the class, feel free to chime in and verbally ask a question at any time as it pops up. Or if you're feel, feeling a little bit nervous, you can also provide it in the chat and I'll, I'll help you out with the assist. So next let's go to our APE um, student teachers. Rachel, Elsie, go ahead and introduce yourself and then you can pass it on to your APE mentor teacher. Okay, I'll go first. Hi everyone. My name is Rachel Posterbaro. Like Dr. Bittner said, I am currently student teaching in Downey Unified School District and my mentor teacher is Kendra Creed. Hi, I'm Kendra Creed. I've been working at Downey Unified for six years. I teach two elementary and one middle school, first through eighth grade, students with mild to severe disabilities. Hi everyone, my name is Elsie Gutierrez and I'm student teaching in Downey Unified School District as well. And my mentor teacher is Amanda Peck. All right. Hi everyone, my name is Amanda Peck. I again work for Downey Unified. I have Warren High School, uh, Williams Elementary, and then I also deal with our non-public schools. So thanks for having me. All right. Thanks all. And in addition, we have Terry Taylor, who is our CSULB University Supervisor. So Terry, if you want to jump on and introduce yourself and you can talk a little bit about your role. Hey, there we go. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Terry Taylor and I am currently the supervisor for student teachers in adapted physical ed education. And pretty much my role is kind of the liaison part from the university as between your master teacher in the district and you and what needs to be done for the requirements for the university in terms of uh, paperwork that needs to go into for the CTC for you to get your credentials. Um, we have uh, a lot of you who are in for 89 or have well, and then go and do your teaching like Rachel and Elsie you'll be in a class Dr. Williams is teaching it now so then you keep in touch one uh one day a week and then we follow through with 10 a minimum of 10 observations we do one group observation then we have a meeting with you and your master teacher at the beginning so we can lay out the framework, say what's expected of you. I'm required to fill out paperwork and observation form every time that I observe you. I also have to turn it in to the PEAT program and a special app that's online to be recorded. And then once I observe, I write up a report based on the AIM coding. A lot of the assignments that you guys have done, those are what I use as my observation and I'm writing down those same things, inappropriate phrases, how much time on the activity, instruction, uh, giving feedback, strengths, weaknesses, and then that goes into your portfolio. You have at least three, you have three of those at the beginning, then you have a midterm to discuss how you feel things are going. Then we move on the next half of the second half. And usually with adapted PE, I like to keep it specific, we start, I concentrate so you guys get um, experience doing assessments and IEP writing. 
because what I found is a lot of the stuff is all for general ed and we have to kind of create our own way for APE and that's a crucial part of it. And then you have three more assessments and then we do a final and then I write up a thing, everything goes into for the CTC and that's my role. I'm there for you to make sure you know, things are going well. I can, you know, be a problem solver. I can also, like I said, be a liaison. I, I taught in Southern California. I worked in uh, Bellflower for 25 years, but I taught all over. And I was lucky enough in 1999 when I got my master's under Dr. LeVay, and then I came back and taught from 2000 to 2004. So a lot of the master teachers out there were in the program, you know, that you're in now and went through the exact same thing. Like Wendy um, was one of my students, uh, Emery Sharp, uh, Tanya Ross over in, um, in Huntington, uh, Lindsay Cecil started and she's running LA Unified. So um, that's kind of what I do. And I kind of get the best of both worlds because I was a teacher out in the field, but I'm also part of the university. Terry makes a great point. And that one thing that Barry's done a great job to establish here is the sort of like mentorship chain that he's trained students. And then we most always have you student teach with another um, AP teacher out in the field who is also a Long Beach State grad. We know how they've been trained. We know the things you know that they're doing. Um, and it, it's really helped create a, a great connection uh, with the university. And it really helps us keep the quality of our student teachers really high. Another point that Terry mentioned was the AIM coding. And this is a systematic method of reflection that we do here at Long Beach State. And it's done throughout several physical education courses, both general and adapted physical education courses. And it is a systematic, systematic method of analyzing our teaching. And so you look at um, names and behaviors and um, the activity time. Are you spending a lot of time in management or instruction? And I will put the, I'll share this with Scott, the, our, our AIM coding. Dr. M. Williams put it together in a really nice Excel sheet, but I'll share that and have Scott add it to the blog post. In addition to this podcast, it's a really nice systematic way to have our teachers reflect on their teaching. And it's, it's done throughout each of the, several of the methods courses here at Long Beach State. And we really scaffold the students because as they continue on in their program, they get a, a little bit more and a little bit more in depth with their reflection. So next uh, up, Melissa, oh, go ahead, can I just jump in real quick? Yeah. The other point that Terry made that I think the university students don't always realize is also, and maybe Elsie uh, and Rachel can talk about this is that not only are you student teaching and you're writing lesson plans, but there's requirements that Terry mentioned about the California Commission on Teacher Credentialing, like video recording and your, your TPEs, and which are in a lot of states. But um, so there's a lot of uh, a lot of work that that you have to do besides the, the teaching. And it's it's physically demanding. You're teaching a number of classes every day. And I think that's something we can explore is that uh, when university students jump in at first, they don't realize 
how much uh, work and just the physical demand of it, um, just being there for every day and day after day after day. So um, hopefully we can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that's a great segue to Rachel, Elsie, why don't you discuss your overall APE student teaching experience? What can the university students here in this 388 class um, expect when they student teach in APE in the future? Okay, so it's definitely been a unique experience, so to say, just because of the pandemic. Um, coming into student teaching, I wasn't expecting being it online, and we kind of had to learn, I could probably speak for myself and Rachel, that we had to learn from zero. Um, it's, been, it's been a ride, but I definitely like having the creative freedom of teaching my students um, different content. I had to find different ways to engage each class because every class is different. Um, I would go into, into my teaching thinking my lesson would come out one way and I would come out, well, well, that didn't really work out. But um, every day is a new learning experience. Um, I talk with my cooperating teacher a lot, uh, with Amanda, about what I could do different. Um, how did the lesson go? Um, right now we're transitioning into hybrid um, teaching. So that's definitely been an experience having to find new areas where the Wi-Fi works. Um, I have my students for 70 minutes, so having the students walk the track for the first part of, of the lesson, just so um, they're not used to being back on campus. So that's, it's been really, it's been really a, a different experience and it's a lot of work too. So um, I'm only at one school, so there's kind of been pros and cons with my student teaching. So I haven't really gotten the itinerant experience just because we were, you know, during the pandemic, we were all online. So I feel like, um, in that sense, it's been a pro and a con because I've been having, I was able to focus on my TPAs, but then it's a con because I feel like when it comes to my first year of teaching, I'm not going to have really that experience of traveling school to school. So, um, but overall, I would say so far it's going great. Um, it's everything that I expected. It's, it's fun coming from um, the credential courses where it's been a lot of writing. It was a breath of fresh air being able to go back to actually um, doing lessons for APE, so. Elsie, you mentioned TPAs. Can you follow up on what that is, what the expectations <laughs> are? I'm sure so, that a lot of students in 388s are curious about that experience. Yeah, definitely when I was in everyone's position in 388, that was probably not even in my mind, TPAs, and I didn't realize how much work um, the TPAs are. There's, there's two cycles. So in each cycle, you have to record yourself, record your teachings, do a lesson plan, um, teach and assess, analyze your lessons. And um, you have to get to really know your students because it's specific to your students in your class. Generally, when you write a lesson plan, you um, you write them just for your highest functioning. You, 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 you universally design your lesson, but specifically in the TPAs, especially cycle one, you have to do it specific to um, three students, which are your focus students. And it's really hard to um, write the lessons because I do feel like the TPA, the teacher performance assessment is geared more towards general education and specifically really not for P, for physical education. So it's been kind of hard to work around that, trying to find what what they're, they're trying to like um, fit the requirements basically, but it's a lot of work it's really a lot of work. I didn't expect it to be that much work, but it's like you work on your TPAs and then you also have to lesson plan and you also have to prepare prepare for your general ed class. 
So um, essentially, you're doing a lot of work. Um, not only is it your APE class, but it's also your general ed class. And that's a whole nother section that you have to, um, you have to keep in mind. And it's very different, it's very different. It's more grading and more um, giving more a set, more, more homework. So there's a lot that goes into, into um, student teaching. It's not just showing up and seeing what activities you can do. Okay, great points, Elsie. So the TPAs are the California Teaching Performance Assessments and a lot of states have maybe their, their own um, TPA varieties. And so that's what we're alluding to here for those who are joining us from another state. Um, but Elsie also mentioned something unique to the California TPAs, which we're struggling with here in APE is that they're sort of just asking us to wave our magic wand and adjust the general PE written TPA and oh, just apply it to APE. And so a lot of our student teachers in the last few years have expressed some concerns and some difficulty with this. And so we're trying to communicate um, with those up in um, California Department of Education about some of these nuances that we're going through a little bit um, with trying to just take a standard that's written for general PE and just magically apply it to APE, which doesn't always work out so well. Um, just to jump in, Melissa, just for the audience and for some of the people that are out of state. So in, in California, the, all these students like Elsie and, and Rachel, they're going to get a, a single subject P credential and an added authorization in adapted physical education. So they student teach during that semester, both in general PE and adaptive PE. And when we were talking about the TPAs, um, they're really geared towards general PE. And so that, that's the situation. And, and a lot of times up, uh, the California Commission uh, really focuses on general PE. And it's really been up to the coordinators in the CSU system to um, uh, share with the Ca California Commission what, what our needs are in adaptive PE. And we've always had to be proactive that way. So yeah. Great point, Barry, that everyone here will be receiving, well, pretty much everybody here will be getting their single subject physical education credential so they can teach general PE K through 12 and they're getting their added authorization so they can also teach um, adapted PE, which here for us at Long Beach State is an additional 27 units that they have to do. Uh, Rachel, would you go ahead now and describe your student teaching experience? Sure, so as Elsie said, we actually are student teaching in the same district, which is Downey Unified. So yeah, we walked into a very bizarre situation where we started out our student teaching online and we had no idea if at one point in the semester or if at all, if the students were gonna go back to school or if some students were gonna go back to school or if they would go back to school, but we would still be online. So we kind of walked into it just not knowing what to expect. and. I know through my years of undergrad, I always imagined what is my student teaching experience going to be like, and I never would have thought it would be like this. So no matter how much I prepared, you know, you never know what you're going to get thrown into, especially now with everything that's going on. So definitely be prepared for anything because we still don't know exactly what next semester um, and next school year is going to be like. 
So it is good though, because Elsie and I have gotten to teach online and in person. So we're kind of getting to experience both. I believe we're going to be probably the only group that really has experienced both. So I am in a strange way grateful for that because I do feel like um, as adapted PE teachers, we do need to adapt to whatever situation is thrown our way. And this was good training for that. So the way I would describe student teaching, just as I always describe it to people, would just be I'm doing everything an APE teacher would do and I'm tagging along with my mentor teacher. So we get to do everything from designing lesson plans to teaching to presenting at IEP meetings, assessments, data tracking, and you really get to experience everything that you're going to need to be a successful APE teacher in the future. Great. Thanks, Jump Rachel. In just for one, oh, one yeah, point. Um, I think one of the things that this happened like last March when we had a pivot, the group that was student teaching, um, some of them had to teach online as well, and that made them very marketable uh, from the standpoint. So what I would say to the 388 students um, that getting experiences like you're getting with Dr. Bittner is really critical because those are the, some of the first questions that people ask when you get interviewed for a position. Can you teach online? Can you, can you do hybrid? And Elsie and Rachel were really fortunate. Um, they taught Camp Nugget, like in the summer, basically online. And so had a lot of, hopefully that helped you with, with some of your lessons. And, and I'm sure that was really challenging, but at the same time you had some experiences. And Melissa did a really good job of, of getting our students to, you know, have get that experience of teaching online, which is, is very different. Yeah, Camp Nugget is our summer camp here at Long Beach State, which is designed for children five to 12 years of age with disabilities. And it's a four week summer camp program. And correct, we had to pivot last year and shift it online due to COVID. And unfortunately, due to university regulations, we also have to be online again for this year. Uh, this year, we're actually running two versions of Camp Nugget a paid version, which uh, private small groups where we'll provide APE instruction, including Rachel, Elsie, uh, will be providing some of that instruction for Camp Nugget again this summer. And we'll also have our free Camp Nugget, uh, which will take place mid-June to mid-July. And I'll share the flyer with uh, Scott that he can post on the podcast in case anyone is interested in signing up because it's a unique opportunity that anyone around the nation could technically sign up for Camp Nugget because we will be virtual. So those who might want to join us, will share that with Scott as well. Our next question goes to our mentor teachers, Amanda and Kendra. Can you share with what can a student expect from their cooperating teacher while student teaching in APE? Do you want me? <laughs> Go for it. Okay, uh, so I kind of equate uh, student teaching with uh, book smarts versus street smarts uh, because, you know, you guys are in this, like, I want to say, like, sheltered environment in your classroom, and then you get to come out here and be with all the kids, and it's pretty much, like, you have to be, you have to be, like, super flexible, um, you know, and, and online here, right, Elsie, uh, the other day, we had a kid eating in class, like walking past, like eating a cup of noodles. And you're like, what? And I've never had to deal with that. So it's like just being flexible. And, um, you know, my student teacher, she's been awesome. And, uh, you know, it's one thing 
for you guys to do your student teaching online and in person, but it's us too. We're, this is the first time for us. And so we're kind of learning on, uh, on the same page, same time. Um, but again, just being flexible and just having a good time because the kids feed off your energy and they can tell when you're stressed and when you have a lot of things going on, but really we're just taking it day by day. Um, but yeah, it's been a lot of fun, I would say so far. Yeah. Kendra, what's it like on the other half of Downey over there? <laughs> it's going pretty well. Like Rachel said, I think our job is to make sure that you guys get as many opportunities as possible. And I, I know for myself, and I'm sure for other master teachers, we want you to own your work. So we want you to come up with a curriculum plan, you to come up with lesson plans. I have Rachel helps me or comes up with their own IEP goals. Of course, we talk about it, but if you guys can own it, then it comes across to everyone else that's watching you guys teach, comes across to the parents that are listening to you in IEP meetings. So our job is really to come alongside you guys to help you. We have a lot of trip tricks up our bag because we've been doing it a while. And so it's all about for us just coming alongside you and giving you ideas that you might not have thought of or goals you might not think of. But like I said, um, especially for me, I want Rachel to own everything she's doing because it just helps her be more enthusiastic about um, sharing it with all of us. So uh, Melissa and I put a series of questions together and this, this can be answered by the student teachers, but also the cooperating teachers as, as well. And, and uh, it, Wendy's out there too, right? If she wants to like jump in and, and respond to any of these uh, questions, that would be fine. But uh, the first question I want to ask is, is let's talk about instructional practices and, and what, what goes DL and what you learned, you know, because you, you learn a lot of these, this theory, but then making application to it. So um, if you could, could talk about making accommodations, modifications, UDL, um, just trying to get your minutes in for your student. I think a lot of times like the, the IEP might have certain minutes that have to be on there. Um, what's that like uh, for you? And, and just teaching learning styles that you learn from maybe from your cooperating teacher. So why don't we start with Rachel? Yeah, um, I actually, this reminds me of what Amanda just said about the book smarts versus the street smarts, whereas we're taking everything that we learned at Cal State Long Beach and applying it to our teaching during our student teaching experience. So a great example of that for me has been lesson planning. So at Cal State Long Beach, when you're going through the program, you know, you have opportunities throughout your classes to design lesson plans, to teach lessons like in ASAP. But you really are only getting that, I always say this in ASAP, it, that's your time to shine. You get your one lesson that you present to everybody and you get feedback. But when you're student teaching, you are planning lessons for every day of the week, the whole semester. And so you really have to look at it a little bit differently of like, overall, what do I wanna teach? What's my curriculum plan? You have to look at units as opposed to just individual lessons as well and making all of your lessons connect. So that's kind of a pattern that I noticed for myself is I have to think kind of big picture first. What are the main concepts I want them to learn and then divide it up into my individual lessons. And something else too would be differentiation and UDL. This is something Kendra and I talk about all the time. For me, I find it personally easier to take a skill and to make it more challenging for students 
rather than say my SBC classes who need a very, the simplest version of the skill I can possibly give. And that's something that's been very challenging for me. So not only lesson planning, but differentiating all of those lessons. Plus, like Elsie mentioned, you have your general ed students on top of that. So it's really up to you what you want your curriculum to be, what you want your lessons to be, but always keeping that in mind that you always need to differentiate depending on who your students are to adapt to all of their needs. Rachel, I've got a few follow-up questions for you. Can, why don't you explain in case someone's not familiar with the universal design for learning um, terminology of differentiation. Can you give an example of that and what, what that might look like? Sure, so in, when you're universally designing your lesson, basically that means you're making it accessible to everybody and every student can be successful in your classroom, which in adapted PE is really important because every single one of your students is gonna have different goals, different strengths, different areas of need. So whatever you want your content to be, what your lesson is going to be, you need to make sure that every single student can be successful, whether it's students that need more support or students that can be challenged. So what I mean by differentiating my lesson is, let's take dribbling, for example. I wanna work on a basketball unit, I'm working on dribbling. Some students may be able to just dribble with their dominant hand just fine. Some students, you may need to create almost a device where, I, I don't know if I'm explaining this correctly, Dr. Bittner, but where you use the balloon and they're like, yeah, kind the, of the, back. The, the, punch, the punch ball balloon. You can yes. get a punch ball balloon at the 99 cent store, or you can just take a, a balloon, maybe latex free, if you've got students with latex allergies and put a string around it and they could you know, dribble, maybe hand over hand assistance in that manner. Great, excellent example. I also have another student who has a dribbling goal and he needs a lot of support. So we even started with just, can you push the ball to me while sitting on the ground? Or can you try to, um, I'll dribble once and he can reach to try to touch the ball. So what's the simplest version of the skill? And then on the other side, you have, well, what about my students who dribbling is easy for them? Well, can they switch hands? Can they dribble low? Can they dribble high? Can they dribble through objects and dribble while walking? So that's what I mean by differentiation. Great. Another um, point that Rachel mentioned was um, ASAP. So ASAP is our after school program here at Long Beach State. It runs Tuesday, Thursday, 345 to 445. The first half hour students are paired one-on-one -on -one with a child with a disability. And in the second half hour, we do small group uh, APE lessons and they each rotate a turn to be the lead teacher and teach the APE class. Uh, but Rachel makes a fantastic point about when you student teach, you need a unit plan. And that's one of my pet peeves when a lot of teachers go to a conference and they're like, oh, so many great ideas. Let's incorporate them on Monday. And I hold the phone. We need to find out where that's gonna fall within our unit plan. And then you can incorporate that great activity or game, but it needs to fall within your unit, not just, hey, what can we do on Monday? Okay. Uh, oh, go ahead, Terry. Do also like for those of you in 489A, that's why the curriculum plan assignment was so important and why it was worth so many points because this is what you are going to be doing in real life. And what Rachel said about the differentiation, that's so important and when you need to be specific. So like her idea of doing the dribbling, you could have a student with, let's say, muscular dystrophy, and they're already in a motorized chair and have limited use of their muscles, but they could participate in that activity because 
that is so light. So they could be dribbling or you could have a student with Down syndrome who is learning also how to um, dribble with one hand or two, but then you can have a higher functioning student like who does need to go through a course or crossover dribbling or dribbling with um, either hand. So this is the continuum. You might have a student with spina bifida who might not need you except for certain things because from the, from the waist up, their skills are really, really good. I've had students, I don't know if you guys have seen, I don't wanna get off on track, but you have wheelchair sports. There is such a continuum of what we do from the most severe student with limit, severe cerebral palsy, let's say with limited movement all the way up to you know, somebody with good skills, but with cognitive impairments or things along that nature, so. So everyone here in class hopefully can answer this question. So be ready to answer it. What is my favorite word to use when I teach APE? Take or, yourself off mute. Or, or very or. good, or. And when you teach APE, it's incredibly important to have that in your vocabulary. You know, you can dribble this way or you can dribble that way. So utilizing or. Okay, thanks panelists. Any other ideas or tips on instructional practices? Um, so just going based off what Rachel said, knowing what you want to teach, having your curriculum map. Um, so for myself, one of my things is get learning what my teaching style is. So sometimes I come into um, the lesson and I have Google Slides prepared and um, I have in mind of how my lesson's gonna go. And then I'm kind of seeing my students' faces go from very engaged one or two minutes and then they're not engaged. So finding my teaching staff out there, I don't have slides and just go live, um, you know, providing the ORs that like Dr. Bittner likes, universally designing, having a modification for each um, exercises. So I feel like my big thing right now is finding my own teaching staff and seeing what works best um, I really like when my students are interactive. So taking a, taking a minute or two at the beginning of the class to talk to them. That's one thing that Amanda tells me like, Hey, you know, talk to your students, get to know them, get, get to know their personality. Um, so right now through distance learning, I feel like that was really, really big. One important thing for me is taking time at the beginning of the lesson, um, talking to my students, you know, getting to know how they're feeling in the morning. Um, that way I can better teach them throughout the lesson because sometimes at the beginning of student teaching I felt like I was just so eager to start so eager to share through my lesson that I didn't take a time to breathe you know get to know hey what did you do this weekend or um, one of my students was so excited to go to the aquarium like hey how was the aquarium so that was one big thing for me that I've learned throughout student teaching is that um, you got to get to know who you're teaching get to know your students seeing what learn how they learn best so yeah, I know that's making Barry very happy. Um, he loves to say, you can't teach if you don't reach. And he probably has half a dozen other phrases that are very similar to that. <laughs> Connect before you direct. There you go. I knew I knew he had yeah, several others in, in his bag of tricks there. Elsie, um, I also liked how you mentioned that, and in, this is another Barryism that teaching is both an art and a science. And you really alluded to that with how you were figuring out your own instructional methods. Teaching is a science and that you make this lesson plan and maybe you are deciding, oh, we're gonna do 
our activities. They're each going to last 45 seconds, but then you look out into your audience and you know, either a, wow, they've already mastered the skill. Why are we taking this long? Let's move to the next. Or maybe you look out and like, Ooh, I need to uh, give them a lot more time. They need to practice this a lot longer. And that's where teaching is an art. Just because scientifically you had decided the activity was going to last a certain length of time. It is absolutely okay to look out at your students and see where they're at. And maybe they need more, maybe they need less. And adjust your lesson plan on the fly uh, as you're as you're teaching and so yeah teaching both an art and a science yeah definitely there's been I remember one time I had yoga planned and I you know I, I can read faces pretty well and I can really see that my students were just really bored we're not they were not having it and um you know me and Amanda spoke about it like hey next time just go live you do the exercises with them you do the yoga stretches with them and I was just going, you know, I didn't have a timer. I didn't count. I was just going through the motions like, okay, watch me. Now we're going to stretch to this side, take one big step forward. We're going to do a lunge. And I feel like at least my class really liked when they see me on this, on the big screen, rather than having an exercise that I grabbed from Google or a GIF or even a GIF. Sometimes they're just like, I don't want to see that. I want to see you live talking to me, sharing the sound through the computer or even when I have, when I tend to do an exercise, maybe 45 seconds, that's sometimes way too long. At the next ex exercise, I'm like, okay, we're gonna go for 30 seconds. All right, this time we're gonna count to 10. Um, definitely, I, you have to adapt to however your students are feeling that day. Amanda, Kendra, anything else you wanted to add? Our other panel members? Um, yeah, I mean, so what I brought from uh, Dr. LeVay, right, is really get to know your students and it kind of um, has this trickle effect, right? So um, we have a lot of like gamers in our first period class and they love Minecraft and all these things. So it's like then you can draft your lessons around that and then they just become even more engaged. So that's just another th reason why, like, just get to know them, right? And even one day we had one kid that comes on and and his grandma had, like, went into the hospital, right? And so we said, okay, throw out the lesson plan today. We're just going to do deep breathing and relaxation. And that's totally cool just to take that time. And, and again, it's that buy-in, right? So then he's going to be thinking about those times, like, oh, my, my teachers really do care about me. And, you know, and that's, that's not just for APE, like, our whole district – um, you know, my, my schools specifically, too, we're really working on, um, you know, caring for those students because you're in their home now. Um, you, their parents are walking um, behind the screen, their aunts, their uncles, cousins. I mean, even other kids in different rooms are Zooming along with you. Um, so you show that respect to them and they're going to show it right back um, while being like engaged and, and really excited to come to your class. Amanda, one positive that I've noticed from this whole COVID teaching at home through Zoom, a, a great positive for our profession is that parents get to see what we do and how we're doing it. And as we know, parents can be some of the biggest advocates and we need them on our side. And they see the amazing thematic lessons that we're providing and the modifications that we're doing so everyone can participate in physical activity. So on one hand, through this COVID experience, I think that it's a, a great opportunity to showcase who we are and what we've been doing. 
Yeah, 100%. I agree with that because most times the only time that we meet the parent is either at back to school night or at IEP meetings. And it's kind of hard to demonstrate what APE does in an IEP meeting. I mean, you could drop and give them like 10 pushups and show them. Um, but it's kind of cool that they're seeing uh, it through uh, their kids' uh, computers at home and seeing what we do. So it's nice. And the other important point Amanda made was about thematics that we've always really stressed at Long Beach State that the lessons should be thematics that are very motivational. What what do your kids relate to? And you can get a lot more out of them if if they they feel this joy of movement and, and there's a certain theme, even if it's, you know, I'm not wild about Minecraft, but it's not about me. It's about the students. So yeah, and you point, use that to Amanda. your advantage. So, you know, if they're into Spider-Man, well, make your poly spot with a Spider-Man on it. Make the targets that they're throwing at Spider-Man. And they, they may not be into throwing, but they're into Spider-Man. And so you might get more buy-in. I will also share uh, with Scott to add to the, the blog, our Glide app that we've done here at Long Beach State. And it is a big compilation of all these online lessons um, from Camp Nugget, from ASAP, our after-school program. And so we have probably close to 100 hours at this point of either 10 minutes or full 30-minute APE lessons. We also have APE lessons from Camp Nugget that are, that are in Spanish. And so we'll share those. And you can really see the wide variety of thematics that you can use. And so we really created this app to help raise the bar for students because they could see what others have been doing and then take off you know, from there. And APE teachers, you can either A, use the Glide app at, you know, as you see fit, or um, number two, you could use it as inspiration to, you know, to, to make your own lesson. Our next question is for the panel is on assessment. What have you learned about data collection, report writing? Talk to us about assessment. Well, I just did my first assessment uh, last week, you know, because of the pandemic, we haven't really been able to do assessments, but um, I definitely learned that you have to read the assessment beforehand, get familiar with it. Um, there were some test items that I knew my student probably that could successfully do. So I started with those test items to get comfortable with him so he can be confident in what he's doing. And I kind of worked my way down, but um, regarding data collection, we haven't done much yet, but um, maybe that we're, trans we're transitioning to hybrid, we can get a start on that. It's been really hard to do that through um, Zoom. It's more, it's more informal assessments at this, at this point, um, just due to protocol. Yeah, that's a good point, Elsie. With COVID, a lot of school districts, I mean, a lot, there's not a lot of standardized assessments that are yeah, so valid more, and reliable to do in an online setting. So it's more informal assessments, whether I'm doing a check for understanding during my lesson. Um, and that's kind of how I've been doing my um, assessments as of, as of now, unfortunately. But um, hopefully we can transition into doing more informal assessments now that we're back on campus. Yeah, I can add to that. I've actually gotten to do quite a few assessments with Kendra. We had a bunch lined up. We're finally on the tail end of it, but then we have all the tries and IEPs to do in May. So, you know, it never ends. <laughs> but um, that was one thing going into student teaching that I was really looking forward to was getting more experience with assessment because 
you do take an assessment class at Long Beach State and you get familiar with a lot of different assessments, but there's not enough time in the class to really practice every single assessment because there are so many. So when you are student teaching, you get to kind of know, okay, with this district that I'm in, what assessments do they like to use for each of the grade levels? And then you get more and more familiar. So I know for me, my biggest thing with assessment was feeling confident when I'm giving a score and not second guessing it. And that's something I know I talked to my peers a lot about when I was still in undergrad. We'd be like, oh, like we just need more practice, more practice to feel more comfortable. And now I can say, okay, I feel more confident when I'm assessing a student, when I'm giving them a score. Then not only that, the more confident you are during the assessment, the more confident you'll be when you have to present that information to the parents, which I've also been getting experience with. So it's all about just building that confidence. And the more practice you get, I promise you, you will feel better about assessments. And also data tracking, that's another thing. Kendra and I talk about all the time. Maybe she'll want to chime in here. I don't know. But we <laughs> talked about this all the time of like, it is hard over Zoom. You have students who don't show up to track their goals. Um, but Downey has a really good system of using these yellow cards and it keeps all your data in the same place and you just track for each month and it's all together. And um, yeah, that's been something to get used to also, data collection, data tracking. How do you do that? Because everyone has a different system. Yeah, Kendra, can you jump in and talk a little bit about data tracking? Because that's something everybody's interested in and, and people struggle with. Um, Sure, like Rachel mentioned for our IEP goals at Downey, we have a little half sheet of paper and we take data once a month for all of our students' IEP goals. All of our students have two goals and we have about 50 students. So every month we're taking data on all of those goals because we have to report for benchmarks. So when we write our IEP goals, like you guys know, you don't just write your IEP goal, you also write benchmarks to make the goal achievable. So we have to make sure that the student is um, achieving their goal. But on top of IEP goal data collection, we also have to take data collection kind of like Elsie was talking about, because when a student is ready for a new IEP goal, you can't just make something up off the top of your head. You have to know the strengths and needs of all of your students, just like you guys write in your present levels, so that you can come up with a goal that has a baseline and that we can defend in court in case you had to go to court. So you wanna make sure you know the um, strengths and needs of all of your students. So both informally, but also for their IEP goals. So we take data all the time. Great. All right, so we're gonna um, move on to, and we're gonna talk a little bit about behavior management now. And uh, I know that as part of your student teaching requirement, and we really at Long Beach stress, but part of your requirement is to set up a behavior management plan for your, for your classes that you teach and when you're student teaching, but also if you have individual students. Now, um, maybe the student teachers could talk a little bit about that, about setting up their plan, but also, it probably was a little bit different if you're setting up behavior management online and um, teaching virtually, but uh, still behavior management is behavior management. So um, Rachel, you want to start and talk sure. a little bit? Yeah, sure, definitely. That's been probably my number one um, concern with online learning would be how am I gonna do behavior management? Because 
Dr. LeVay is so great at teaching behavior management at Long Beach State, and we get a lot of practice with it. But when we're thrown into this online environment, you have all these new students, especially as a student teacher, you don't know these students, right? So you have no idea what do they respond well to, what reinforcement are they going to need? So that was definitely something that concerned me when I started student teaching. Um, behavior management in general, it looks a lot different online because the students are at home. So their behaviors, obviously, they're thinking I'm at home. They're not always in the mindset to be ready for adapted PE or be in the mindset for school. So it's a lot of just constant um, reinforcement. I would say it's not as much about a big behavior management plan as it is about consistent reinforcement um, during online learning. And also as we're transitioning to hybrid, now they're in the situation where they're not used to being at school. So again, it's that constant reinforcement. So I find things like simple, just pre-MAC principle. Um, if you do this, then I can reward you with this, or you can do a less preferred activity to then get rewarded with a more preferred activity. Um, token economy systems, like I have um, just a simple five-star chart for some of my students that um, they do an activity, they get a star. And when they get five stars, they get a 30 second break. Um, catching them being good, lots of positive reinforcement. And that's just the best thing I found to work, especially online. You need to have consistent positive reinforcement for them. Did you use some of those visuals online as like, you know, with the, um, for example, point charts and contingencies, like, and they could still re respond to those charts, even though it was online, right? Yes, exactly. So I have a few slides that have different behavior management charts. I have like one that's with the stars, one with colors. So we want them to be on green, which is the best. And then it drops to yellow, orange, and red. So just simple visual charts that they can still respond to online. Yeah, great. Elsie, how about you? Um, so in my class, um, behavior management, I'm lucky enough, my students work really well. I don't really have much behavior management, but there are certain students where I have to give them um, constant, I have to set my expectations, set my rules for them. And it definitely in an online setting, it's hard because like Rachel said, they think they're, they're at home. They're not, you know, they're not, they're not ready for um, adapted PE. Um, but definitely reminding them, okay, we have to keep our eyes on your on our screen, turn your mic off. Um, but other than that, I'm definitely leaning on, I have a lot of instructional aids. So right now that we're transitioning to um, coming back to school, collaborating with the instructional aids and the classroom teacher and seeing what they're working on. That way I can just elaborate on that. I have a couple, I think I have a student that's working towards an iPad. Um, so definitely leaning on your aides and your classroom teacher and work on um, merging your behavior management plans together. That way the student and the classroom, you and the student and the classroom teacher are on the same page rather than having two behavior management plans. You have just one. That's a great, great point. Great point. Excellent. Yeah, getting everyone yeah. on the same page. Another right. point I want to follow up with is I think it's a great idea that what they're working towards, let's try to make it to our best ability something about physical activity, not just here's iPad time where you sit and it's sedentary. Maybe you get iPad time, but there are several iPad apps that are free that encourage physical um, activity, like Lazy Monster, Adventures of Super Stretch Yoga, NFL Play 60. Um, so there's several of them out there. So encourage that. Or maybe they work towards scooter time or ribbon wand time or dance to a YouTube video. So 
try to avoid, if possible, sedentary uh, reward time. Yeah, sure. Uh, anything you want to add, Kendra and Amanda, about behavior management or some of the things you've seen, any growth in your student teachers or anything? Yeah, one more thing add? I was going to mention is Elsie and Rachel kind of missed out on the all of our rules and procedures. So at the beginning of the year, it's so important to establish all of your procedures. And that's as simple as I know we weren't at school, but for Zoom this year, how do you move your camera? So when you're on the floor, I need to be able to see you. We spent months teaching our students how you move the camera, where you put the camera, stay muted and things like that. And so those are things that Rachel and Elsie didn't get to see. But in person, we teach them, this is where you come for APE. This is what you do. You line up on your spot. This is your warm up and things like that. And that eliminates a lot of behaviors because they understand what they're going to get when they show up to APE. Yeah, be proactive routine, right? So you, even we missed out on locker rooms. That's like a whole nother beast, right? Is getting your kids to change. <laughs> um, and then like, okay, uh, some kids can do a combination lock. Some kids have an ADA locker. So it's a lot of prep work in order to alleviate those behaviors, like Kendra said. And we have a, down Unified, we have a lot of high profile cases. Um, and we have um, our behavior um team out there with us and we collaborate a lot with them um, about like what best strategies we can use um, and again like Elsie said my teaching strategy is um, go with the classroom teacher whatever their behavior management is let's flow it into my class for that student and that way it just makes it a lot less stressful on everybody. Nice to hear you guys talk about proactive and Teachers who fail to plan, plan to fail, right? So, all right. All right. Our next question is about collaboration. Can you discuss who you've who you collaborate with, and then how? So, is it like general PE, OT, PT, SLP, paraprofessionals, classroom teacher? Who are you collaborating with, and with what regard? Um, I have one. Oh, sorry, Elsie, you can go ahead. Um, well, I can say um, we just had an IEP meeting on Friday um, for a student that's um, having a lot of behavior issues. So I know we are going to be collaborating a lot with the classroom teacher and um, seeing what works best for that student, um, how we can help improve those behaviors, and also with the parent because the parent is very proactive and involved with um, with his with her child. So um, collaborating with the parents. And the IEP team is very important um, for the student and reaching their, their goals and improving their behaviors. Yeah, um, collaboration just with the IEP team in general is great because I was actually talking to Kendra about this today. Um, sometimes we've had the PT, um, the physical therapist come into our Zoom meetings for a certain student and we work together with them. And also you can set goals with your IEP team. So if you want to collaborate with the physical therapist, set a similar goal so that that student is really working on it in multiple settings. Another thing is I taught an inclusion class when we were still all fully online. Now that we're hybrid, I'm not teaching that class anymore, but that was a lot of collaboration with the general ed PE teacher. And that was a great experience for me to see how are my kids gonna be included into the class? What should I do to meet the needs of both the gen ed students and the adaptive PE students within an inclusion class? 
So definitely collaboration is super important. A very, one of the most important parts of our job, I would say. Kendra or Amanda, anything else on collaboration? I'm, can I make a point? Um, when APE, they say that there, it's a continuum of services. So sometimes you can have a student who only gets a consultation. They're on the IEP as a consultate. You're not giving them direct service or they could be included. Or you could have APE one time a week or you can have it two times a week. So it, there is a continuum of services based on what the student needs and inclusion if they still need like you to just keep an eye out for them and be an advocate, you can keep them on your caseload in that manner too. So there is flexibility within that. And, it, and the point of collaboration is so important because you learn things through other professionals. The OT can give you ideas on fine motor activities and then the PT and you, and you could be working on the same activities to help the students meet their goals. Even speech is a great person to collaborate with because APE and PE, you can be working on speech terms. Let's say the teacher's working on counting or prepositions next to, you could do an activity where you have to jump and count or step on or step off or step next to. So you're working on concepts, PE and speech all at the same time. That's the beauty of APE. It incorporates so much more than just the physical part. I also want to add on how I just realized how important it is to collaborate and communicate with your um, instructional aides in the classroom. Um, because, oh my gosh, I, I don't know how the class would run if they weren't there. Um, they do so they do such a great job um, redirecting their student and you know um, noticing the students triggers and they do a great job of communicating um, with me or oh our student has to go to speech or um, they're not the students not having a great day oh, can you please not uh, pair this student with another student so that's very important too because they're with that student all day and they're just with AP for you know X amount of minutes. So I think that's really important too because the aides contribute a lot to the students' learning. Great. Our next question is, how do you ensure culturally responsive pedagogy in your teaching? Um, I can start this one off. I've actually introduced um, different cultural games, cultural uh, concepts, discussions about culture with my classes a few times. Um, I've just started off as simple as with my middle schoolers, just asking them about their cultures and their cultural traditions. Just again, getting to know your students, like we mentioned before, because if they have some cultural games they like to play or maybe things they do at home that you can incorporate into your class, uh, that's great. I've done um, like around the world type lessons where I've had like different flags from different countries and you click on each one and you get a different warm up activity just so they can get familiar with different places. Um, just simple ways like that. I've done cultural dances. I've done like karate and martial arts. I've done Irish games for St. Patrick's Day. I did rounders and Irish road bowling. So I've definitely found different ways to um, incorporate culture and culturally responsive pedagogy, pedagogy into my student teaching. 
And no, that was that was great, Rachel. I think you're gonna have I'm gonna have to collaborate Whoa. with you on that one. Yeah, I know. Are you gonna send me some stuff or what? <laughs> yeah. I know, that was good. <laughs> All right, let's talk next assistive technology. What are some yeah, some tips? What do you utilize? Um I'm the, um Amanda, I think one of our students uses um, assistive the technology. Yeah. yeah. So um, I have one student that uses the, a the AAC to communicate. And um, uh, I just recently figured that out because through Zoom, I, I didn't even realize that he uses uses it. So um, um, I mean, there's not really much I can say on that. I just know he uses it. And, um, his instructional aid always helps him out with it. And then we use iPads, things like that. Yeah, yeah the iPad is great. Just the tablet technology, different um, you using the technology, but also for the students like they um, I know a few of our students use the iPad to communicate. So they um, have limited expressive language, but they press a button on their iPad and it talks for them. So definitely getting to know which students use technology like that, because you'll have to design your lesson so they can communicate differently um, than you might've originally planned. I'm guessing maybe they use the, like the picture exchange communication system, the PEC system, mm -hmm. and maybe even communicate with your speech language pathologist and see if you can get some of like the board maker pictures that are related to physical education and you can utilize those images. Yeah, we have a, I think now with the iPad, you can actually just take a picture of the exact thing. So they can take a picture of our equipment. Uh, we have an AAC specialist that comes out. Actually, we had um, one come out last week. Oh, yeah, she came out. They needed some new icons. They needed to, you know, right now, okay, putting your mask on, right? That's a whole new icon that they need on their AAC so that you can tell them and they can tell you, um, I need a mask break. Okay, so they hit that and then they can go ahead and into their area that they need to do that. Um, so again, it goes back to that collaboration of like, hey, can you put the APE teachers like picture on there so then they can recognize you too. Um, so yeah, that, the, that's a really cool um, a feature that we have here at Downey is that that PEX board on the iPad. It's nice. All right, next question. Let's jump to uh, community and family resources. Um, what community and family resources do you share with, you know, your parents, guardians, family members? Kendra, um, we were talking about this today. Maybe you could share about how we had that one meeting and you sent the list of different sports activities for the students. It was called something, I don't remember. <laughs> Maybe you could talk about that. Yeah, so Amanda and I and all of our AP teachers in Downey a couple years ago put together a list of maybe 20 different activities in Downey, all the sports um, and all the programs that have specific programs for kids with disabilities. So I know we have a baseball team and soccer, AYSO, and we also have swimming. We put karate on there. So there's really activities for anyone, but it's something that parents ask a lot in IEP meetings or say that their student is unable to participate in sports and they're unaware of all the different activities that their student actually could be a part of. And so it's always fun to share that list with them. Yeah, and I think based off that list a few years ago, right? How long has it been, Kendra, since we had unified sports? 
three years now. Yeah. yeah. So based off that, there was a lot of things that like weren't in Downey or, you know, a lot of things were in Long Beach or Lakewood and parents were really asking for something that their kids can do here in Downey. And so we started here at Warren High School uh, with Special Olympics and Unified Sports. Um, right now we have Unified PE where we have our special ed kids in a gen ed class um, and we have Unified Weightlifting. Um, right now we don't have our after school sports, but we had competitive unified uh, sports teams that we would go and play other schools like we played our rival Downey High School, I think we played Bellflower. Um, and so that was a really cool way to incorporate the community um, and I think we got an award from ESPN we had ESPN come out here um, and give us this big award we were like a unified champion school. Um, and so that's been really fun. We've been getting even down to like our middle school and our elementary school classes to um, start making these teams and play like bocce ball. Um, just really cool. We had basketball, bocce ball. What else was it, Kendra? Uh, Kickball, right? Kickball, yeah. Basketball. Yeah, and so like I'm not talking just like a regular game. Like like we were competitive. Like we had running clocks, we had everything. We had jerseys, we had numbers. I mean, we had professional people come out and take pictures. Um, and so track and field as well. Um, so that really uh, gave us a really cool sense of community that like these kids aren't going to be just shoved in the corner anymore. Like they are a like vital part of your school. We had pep rallies. Um, and so in, it just gives these kids this sense of like, this is my school, like I'm going to rep them. I'm you know, like, I'm going to be on campus like at snack time and they give like high fives, like, you know, these football athletes, they know our kids because then they can say I'm an athlete too. Um, and it was really cool to see parents out there like taking pictures because this is probably the first time that they've ever seen their kid on a competitive sports team, right? So you get all these dads out there that are just loving it. So that's one of the really big things that we've been working on here um, at Downey Unified is uh, is that Unified Sports Program. So we're really excited about it. Great, thanks. That sounds like a, an amazing opportunity. Also, yeah, yeah. Also, you know, make sure that you're always communicating with parents, families, just free opportunities, free resources, because, you know, transportation is an issue, cost is an issue. I mean, there's always lots of different concerns and barriers to participation. Um, but yeah, fantastic program. Kudos. Okay, so the question was advocacy. How are you the voice for your students? How can you advocate for your students? All right, I tend to like to jump in when it's awkwardly silent for too long. Um, <laughs> I guess I'll, I'll just start off by the first thing that came to my mind was just always putting your students first, always being honest about where they're at, what their goals are. Um, I think of advocacy a lot like during I, IEP meetings especially when it comes to the parents and the rest of the team, you know, you're all collaborating and trying to come up with um, the best plan for each individual child, um, but also advocating for what you've seen in your class and being confident that you're the APE teacher, you're the professional, and you come to the meetings with your data and your assessment results, and you're advocating the service that you think that child needs based on that data. And I just think it's really important because 
sometimes, um, you know, you'll get mixed reviews or the parents might ask you a bunch of questions, you know, they're not there and they don't necessarily understand um, what we do. Although now it's a little bit better because it's been online and parents can be more involved. But I think advocating as far as the services you feel the child needs based on what you've seen and explaining that, being able to express that in a way that the rest of the team and the parent can understand. Great. Yeah, Thanks. I agree, Rachel. Um, I know um, Amanda can probably jump in too. Um, we have a student whose parents are uh, fitness fitness instructors and they, they, you know, they think they know what AP is, but forget that um, AP, we also do sports skills and more than more just than um, fitness. So definitely, but definitely advocating for that student going based off your data and assessment and seeing where your students at and what the student needs. Yeah, definitely too, because in those IEP meetings, parents don't really know what's going on in school they're like oh they can do x y and z we've never seen that at home we're like yeah like your kid can do more than you think they can um so helping advocate and like challenge that and like challenge them to do more because uh, we have a lot of parents that like like to baby their kids and you know they're like 16 17 years old and you're like no like they could do more like you could push them it's okay yeah, yeah. Great, great point. Amanda, sometimes even like we as teachers very often called it like the Statue of Liberty syndrome that, you know, we, we come from a very empathetic place. We want to take care. We want to help and, you know, make things better. But sometimes we do too much and we really need to allow students to be as independent as possible and do things for themselves if they can. And so we have to watch that. And you know, the, the best advocate is when they can advocate for themselves. Of course, we support and help out when we can. Uh, but great, great point. point. Yeah, that's a good point, Melissa, about, because uh, that's, we come from a place of we want to help them, but sometimes we help them too much. Should we go to the next question on professional growth? Are we ready for that one? Let's do it. Okay. So, so how about, let's start with Elsie and, and, um, and Rachel, talk about how do you feel like you've grown from the beginning of your student teaching experience? So I'm guessing he wants to know how we've grown on, professionally uh, from the start to the end. Yeah, yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Well, I feel like for myself, um, you know, we have meetings once a month with um, the rest of the AP team at Downey. And I feel like for myself, I make it, um, I challenge myself to, you know, at least speak up at the meetings or, or contrib contribute to the meetings or, you know, just sharing my lessons with other teachers. Um, definitely, I feel like just getting comfortable with speaking, um, speaking to other professionals in the field and not feeling so much of a student, but, you know, start feeling more as I, I'm, a, I'm a teacher. Um, so I feel like I am growing in that sense of transitioning from a student to just becoming, you know, confident in what I do in my lessons and just knowing that the program prepared me um, for what's to come. You know, obviously there's going to be some ups and downs, but it's for myself. I always tell myself, go ahead and try something new. Everything is a learning experience. And I feel like um, if you're not learning, if you're not looking to learn every day, then, um, you know, there must be you shouldn't just be content with where you're at and it's you know important just to strive to be better 
Yeah, um, Elsie, I totally agree. Yeah, the whole experience is all about just finding who you are as a teacher. What's your teaching style going to be? And how am I going to adapt that to the needs of my students? And I've also become a lot more confident with presenting at meetings and collaborating with other professionals. Like I said before, it's all about practice. The more times you do that, the more comfortable you're going to be. I've also felt that how I'm kind of transitioning from student to teacher now. Like, yes, I'm the student teacher. I know I'm still learning, of course, and teachers are always learning. But it's it's kind of interesting to have that shift of like, no, I'm a teacher now. Like, I'm the teacher. I'm teaching the classes. And um, I don't know. It's just it's different when you're doing it every single day as a student teacher and you're really feeling like this is my class. This is my experience. I'm getting practice consistently now over the whole semester. So you do build your confidence more and more every day. And when I went into it in the beginning, I told Kendra from the first day, like, I've just decided I got to just be myself. You know, you need to decide what's your teaching style. Somebody else might not like it. They might not agree with it, but you need to be confident in who you are as a teacher. And um, it, Again, adjusting that along the way, you have students that need more help, or maybe they need you to be a little bit softer, because sometimes I tend to be a little cut and dry, okay, or maybe, <laughs> Elsie's laughing at me, um, or maybe you can be a little more firm with them, and they can, they want that extra push, they need that extra push, so establishing who you are as a teacher, then adjusting, just like everything else, we adjust everything to the needs of our individual students. But just my biggest advice would be just because I've seen it in myself, the growth from beginning until now of just getting more and more confident and just be yourself and everything will fall into place as maybe cheesy as it sounds. You know, I, I appreciate that with Kendra. She always told me, like, I want you to teach what you want to teach. I want this to be your unique experience. And I want you to find who you are as a teacher. I just think that's really, really, really important. Both of you. Yeah, well said. Uh, Amanda, Kendra, Terry, any other bit of advice for professional growth and leadership? Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, student teaching is a really cool opportunity for you to, um, you know, establish yourself in a safe environment. Like, it's okay if you fail on a lesson that day. Like, it's okay, because we've all been there. And, um and I tell like Elsie, like, okay, so what if you took way longer on that, like part of your lesson? Like if you don't get to all your lesson, that's okay. Um, Cause you guys are coming from writing like 25 page lesson plans. Um, and then like, I don't know when the last time I wrote a lesson plan because like it's all up here because you've laid that groundwork in your head so much. Like I have the, um, like all the stuff from like 270 way back. 270 370 all that stuff like ingrained in my head like aim coding and everything like that I'm like oh I'm taking too long talking oh my gosh like I have so much management right here like it's all up here and like it's your time to like just like let it go and if something doesn't work out it's okay um you learn now and of course you're gonna learn your first few years again like it's okay to fail in your first like few years too right I've been teaching for like six years now and there's still some times where I'm like oh dang I should have taught that better uh but okay second period's coming let's try it again a different way um so yeah just being like flexible and just like loving the the ride because it's fun like memory making right now it's really cool you're gonna look back at your student teaching and be like I taught during a pandemic like okay like I can do that now I can do anything pretty much so yeah 
And then I think just from our perspective, as much as Elsie and Rachel are becoming professionals, um, you guys, they imprint on us too. And so we learn from you. We don't get to go back to school every semester, but every time I have a student teacher, I feel like, wow, I never looked at it that way, or I would have never taught a skill this way, or I would have never taught dance, or, and it's just been so much fun to see Rachel teach new things, um, ask of my kids things I would have never asked them to do, and just to see how much she and the students have responded. And so we learn as much as you guys learn from this experience. And to follow up, piggyback off what Kendra said, that great point that once you graduate Long Beach State here, you go out into the field, it's really important to you know, continue to know these evidence-based practices and what what is the, the hot topics in the field. And I really encourage you to stay in tune with the field by attending conferences, whether it's your state conference or like the national APE conference, that's really imperative to knowing what's going on in the profession and maintaining connections. All right, our last question, and then we can open it up uh, for the 388 students, but this goes to Rachel and Elsie. What other information can you pass on to the students who are currently in the APE cohort class? Uh, some tips or advice for their student teaching in APE in the near future. Um, okay, so I read this question. I took notes on this because there's a lot of things that I feel like I can say, but um, I think the most important ones is the first few weeks get to know your students the quicker you get to know who your students are um, what activities they prefer behaviors um the easier the tpa is going to be for you and i think that's a big part of student teaching is you know passing your cycle one passing your cycle two um definitely try to um you know communicate with your master teacher how early on can you you know lead a warm-up um you know sometimes i know other student teachers Take, a, take maybe like a month or two and just observe, but the quicker you get out there and start um, leading, leading activities yourself, you get more comfortable with teaching. Um, I would also say during student teaching, maybe make a couple friends, make, make a couple friends out in the program because definitely I feel like that, um, sometimes you feel like there's a lot going on and you, maybe you're not doing something right. I know there was at one point, I'm like, I don't know if I'm te you know, teaching my lessons right. I don't think I'm doing this correctly. But then, you know, sometimes me and Rachel talk on the phone, we're like, did you go through this? Or does this happen when you're teaching? And she's like, yeah, that happens to me too. So definitely having a good um, support system through the program, that's gonna get you through um, definitely. And I would say, save all your lesson plans. Say, save all your lesson plans because I don't know why for some reason I didn't think about, I have three classes I need to teach and each class is very different. I mean, they're similar, but very different, different approach. I have to challenge um, some of my students. Some of, the, some of my lesson plans have to be more modified. So um, definitely save all your lesson plans. Um, it'll save you a lot of time. Um, be flexible with your teaching. And most importantly, I think just remember to like relax and have fun trying new things because um, there comes a point where I'm like, I feel like I'm a little stressed out, but you know, I need to relax, take a step back and just um, like have enjoy, enjoy um, student teaching. So that's the most, most important part. Thanks, Elsie. Uh, I love the point about maintaining and keeping the connections in your cohort. 
you know, look around you. These are your peers. These are people who are going to be yeah, with you, definitely. not only now, but decades to come where you can reach out and ask them questions. Also love the idea of not only keeping your own lesson plans, but during ASAP or Camp Nugget, look around at the other lesson plans that are happening. There are like no new ideas. Just cite your source. If LCC is a lesson that Rachel did that she really liked, use that lesson and just cite Rachel as the source, as you know, credit her for the idea. So please take note of what your peers are doing and you know, file those away for the future as well. Oh, I also do want to add, um, get comfortable writing lessons for different age groups, different ability level, because I do know right here in ASAP, you know, where a lot of the lessons are, let's, let's focus on the locomotors or maybe like the um, K through like third grade. But I came into my student teaching and I have high schoolers and I don't really think I remember writing a, a lesson plan for high schoolers that are very much high functioning. So they challenged me to become more creative because I'm used to modifying it, making it easier. But now, you know, they're challenging me to um, make a task a little, a little more complex for them. So, you know, get used to writing lesson plans for different, different sports, diff different age levels, um, different ability levels. I think that's going to benefit you a lot when you come into your student teaching because you won't know what grade, well, you don't know what age so um, if you've already done a lesson plan for um, elementary school like two or three times, then it's maybe time to do like a middle school lesson plan or a high school lesson plan. So just keep that in mind the next time you have an assignment or whatever it may be, um, get comfortable, you know, doing, doing different ones and not staying with the same content, the same topic. Great point, Elsie. And that's one of the challenges teaching APE. You can have children three years to essentially 22 years of age. And we need to be able to switch our hats. I remember teaching and I'd maybe have a, a ninth grade high school class like you have, and then go down the road to another school district and be working with preschoolers. And you have to speak a little different, have different types of lesson plans planned for the students. And that's something that we as APE teachers have to be able to do is make those adjustments. Rachel, what? Other final tips do you have for the, the current APE cohort? Yeah, I, I have a few tips for you as well. I would say the first thing would be before you even start thinking about student teaching, start reaching out to some APE teachers who you think you might want to be your mentor teacher. I know with Kendra, I met her like a year and a half ago at this point. And I knew from that point, I was like, I want to student teach with Kendra if I can, if I can request it. And we kept in contact over time and it worked out that way. So really finding somebody you think you can connect to. I know we haven't been able to observe um, as we usually do. Typically at Cal State Long Beach, you have several semesters. You can go and observe many different teachers and it's a little bit different now, but if you found somebody that you like that you connect with, um, I would say keep in touch with them. Let them know that you might want a student teach with them. And I just think it's really important because having that open and honest communication from the start really is helpful. I know that's what I had with Kendra from the beginning when I was observing her. We just kind of fed off each other and we kind of had the same ideas about things. And so now student teaching with her, we can just talk about anything and everything, you know, and we just have that honesty. So you definitely want your mentor teacher to be somebody you can connect to in that way. 
And also my other big piece of advice, in addition to what I said before about just establishing who you are as a teacher, you know, don't be afraid to make mistakes. It's very hard for me when I feel like I messed up or I did something wrong. And, but then I look back and I go, you know what, that was not even as big of a deal as I thought it was. So just as hard as it is sometimes, because I know all of your lessons, you know, they're kind of like your babies, you protect them, you're proud of them. And if it doesn't go the way that you want, it can be upsetting. And so I would just say, just keep a positive attitude the whole time. Remember who you are. Remember the teacher that you want to be and make adjustments along the way. It's definitely a learning experience. You're not expected to be perfect. This is we're still in training here. And the idea is to make the mistakes now so that when you become a teacher, you're a lot more confident. Great. Thank you so much, Rachel. Sage words of advice. Kendra, (laughs) Amanda, any tips for our our APE cohort? Uh, I don't know. Um, I would say just relax (laughs) just go go with the flow because um anything and everything will happen that's okay like I think Elsie last week we had a gas leak here in Downey and so we went on a lockdown like okay roll with it do it um try not to take things personally in IEP meetings um if a parent like attacks you type of thing uh you gotta leave uh your work at work, don't take it home with you. Uh, I know it's kind of hard right now because we teach at home, um, but try to try to establish that boundary. Um, a lot of self-care is is good for you. Like Elsie said, um, meet with your friends um, and just kind of vent if need be. And that's okay because we do it too. I do it. I don't know, Kendra, do you do it? <laughs> you have those days where you just want to vent um, and that's all right. It's the, it's the name of the game. It's the job. Um, special ed is ever evolving. We have so many, the population is just growing, right? We have a ton of kids on our caseloads um, and just go with the flow. Every day is going to be different. And so I would just say, yeah, just relax. It'll be okay. (laughs) No, I would jump on that. Amanda makes a good point where through all this of what you're doing, take care of yourself. You still need to eat right. I would suggest we all like Dr. LaVey works out. I work out just because it makes your whole life better. But when you're teaching and you're on your feet all day and you're going from school to school, if you're in good shape and you feel good and you can demonstrate to the kids and you get enough sleep and you take care of yourself, you're better able to handle the things that come your way. And what happens is if you get overwhelmed and then you're up till midnight and then you're up at five or your mind's racing, then you're not your best self and then you're not your best teaching self. So there's a balance, which you need to find in all things and, you know, just find what works for you. And like you said, find your place, but make sure you're taking care of yourself, your family, Make sure I tell my student teachers who haven't had, like they're, a couple haven't had the opportunity to go live. I said, have you been outside yet today? Go outside, get out in the sunshine, take an hour if you've been sitting on Zoom for like four or five hours a day. That, that can't always be healthy for you. So like we wanna take care of our kids with the three areas of you know cognitive, affective and physical, we gotta do it with ourselves too. 
We do have a couple questions from the audience. Thanks, Bri Brave388 students. Chris, you want to go ahead and ask your question? Can you hear me? Is my mic working? Yeah. Okay. You can probably hear the garbage truck outside too. So I was just wondering, you know, I guess so that I can figure out how quick I can start to prep my unit plans and my lesson plans. Did you take direction from your master teachers on what units to create or did they kind of leave that up to you to come up with yourself? Um, for myself, I spoke with Amanda on what they have previous, what she has previously taught in the previous um, semester. So, and I kind of just went based off that of what she would want me to teach or um, what units they haven't, they haven't done. So I went based off that and um, like, like now I just finished a hockey unit and I've never taught hockey before so I thought that was really cool um Amanda suggested it and I rolled with it and I learned a lot it was one of this one sports skills that I've never personally taught so um I think just talking with your master teacher and seeing what they would want to see from you and then you can also give an input say hey I have a really cool lesson that I want to teach and I'm more than sure that your master teacher will be open to it um, but definitely, I would say speak with your master teacher and see um, the, and have some direction from them. Yeah, I went about it a similar way. I, I asked Kendra what was previously taught last semester, but she basically said, I want you to teach what you want, whatever you want experience with. And so that's kind of how we did it. But definitely talk to your master teacher because they might be a little more specific about, hey, I haven't taught this unit yet. And I usually do. I'd really like for you to teach it. So again, that open communication is key. Yeah, and I do want to say for your TPAs, um, maybe, you know, choose a unit or a lesson that you feel really comfortable teaching, which will make the process a lot easier for you. Um, if you're doing something completely new and you're coming, um, you know, you're doing the planning process and you're analyzing, you're doing your visuals and you might, you know, you have to get recorded too. So you're teaching something you're not that comfortable with. You're kind of, you kind of start to question yourself. Well, did I do this correctly? Did I not? But, um, you know, at the end of the day, you, you know, you're going to have to learn something new at one point. So student teaching, I think it's, it's, it's a good place to do it. Just because you, also, you get that support from your master teacher too, so. Yeah, you could also ask your kids, what do they want to learn? What do they want to do? Because then you create that buy-in too. So just like ask them like, oh, do you like basketball? Do you like football? Like, oh, okay. Like we've got like five kids that love football and it just happens to be in the fall. Like, sweet, let's teach them some football. Mm -hmm. so that helps too. Yeah, don't be afraid to get creative. As Elsie said, like, this is the time to try new things. Like, and especially online, I got to do different things than I would do in person. So just really be open-minded and just try out some new fun stuff with your kids. On your question, one of the things you're going to do is you're going to take 450, which is a class the semester before, and you'll actually be working with that student, uh, that cooperating teacher. So you'll kind of know your your students. So the semester before, you could um, start to get to know those students and see what kinds of, and think about lessons and units and and of that nature. That we hadn't discussed that yet, but that was helpful, Rachel and Elsie. Wouldn't you agree? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree. That's a, a great thing that we do the semester before you student teach, you do your observations with the teacher who you plan to student teach with. That really helps cement that bond and get to know uh, his or her program a lot more. All right, uh, we're nearly out of time. So Barry, you want to provide us with our final words of wisdom 
And again, before Barry launches us off, we want to thank Scott McNamara and the What's New and APE podcast for allowing us to record this edition. Well, I, I guess the biggest thing that I would say to the students is to um, have fun with it and realize that it's a learning experience. And here's a chance for you to try some new things and not be afraid sometimes to take a risk and that you know more than you're aware of. And I think we're really good at pairing you up with, with someone who wants to help you and mentor you. And all of these um, cooperating teachers, they've gone through this. They've gone through, they were student teaching. And for some of them, it wasn't that long ago. And so they want to give back. And that's one of the things that we've always tried to develop is a sense of community at, at Long Beach State and Adaptive PE. And there's so many people that are willing. The last thing that you heard over and over again, Rachel and, and Elsie talk to each other quite a bit and communicate. You have this whole group that you've gone through with courses uh, and classes in Adaptive PE. And so you, you should talk to them at night you know, you know, and, and bounce ideas off them. That's what I would share. All right, thank you again, panel. Much appreciated for your time and expertise. All right, till next time, bye all.